Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. I thought I was accepting some kind of a fishing award or something after that. Um, uh, so good to be here. I'm really excited about uh, what God, I believe, is just going to share with us here this morning. And, and uh, as I just prepared for this, um, God has just, uh, just was really speaking to me uh, throughout the story that we're going to be sharing this morning. And, and so it's been, uh, it's been really good. Um, and uh, it's, just, uh, it's just exciting to have Nathan here. He's always really excitable. Let's give it up for Nathan. And he's just great. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's just go before the Lord and just ask him to, just to be here and speak with us. He's here already through our worship and, and through our time of song. But let's just uh, let's ask for God to just really speak to our hearts here this morning. God, we just thank you for uh, everything that you're doing in our lives and, and uh, what, you, uh, what you have done and, and what you'll continue to do for us. And God, I just thank you that throughout uh, whatever we might be facing here in this place, God, that you would be bringing hope and that you would be bringing peace and courage to our lives. And God, just in everything that we, we do here this morning, let our lives honor you and, and, and let us dive in and really listen to what you have to say here this morning. In Jesus' name, and we said, amen. So I want to kind of start with a question this morning. Uh, how many of you here this morning, and just kind of think about this, um, have you ever faced something in your life that you felt like you didn't have the strength for. You didn't have the strength to make it through. Like maybe, uh, may- maybe it was uh, like, a- a- like a loss in your family or maybe it was hearing news from the doctor or maybe it was, uh, maybe it was uh, something financially that was so- became so crippling or, or-, or news that you-, you received or something that happened to you that you felt like you didn't have the strength for uh, on your own. I want you to just kind of think about that because uh, we're going to be talking about some people this morning uh, that faced that very challenge. Um, I was in a similar situation to this uh, just this summer. Um, as Nathan was sharing, um, I, uh, we do quite a bit of fishing in the summers and uh, we just whenever we can. And uh, we went, we took a trip to Canada in July. And there was a few of us who, who went and I was fishing and, um, and we, we like to fish for uh, big fish, uh, muskies. That's what we like to fish for. So uh, if, you know what a, if you don't know what a muskie is, it's just, it's a really long, big fish with very sharp teeth and they're a lot of fun to catch. And uh, I'm holding it out like that big because that's, it's not like a fishing store where it was like, oh yeah, it was that big. Like they are really that big. So, uh, I, so the, the trip was going and, and you know, it's, it's a fun trip, but like I had gone up through like most of the trip and I at that point had not uh, I had not caught one of these muskies. I had had a lot of them that I saw, but I just, I hadn't caught one. Um, it was just kind of a, like a, always the bridesmaid, never the bride situation. I get to watch everybody else catch these fish and I just kind of get to, you know, net them. So that was like my job. Like I became the net guy, you know, so you get a big net and you net these fish after you reel them in. And, and uh, I was just kind of having one of those nights where I was like, man, I just really want to catch a fish. And I was with my, my older brother and my dad. And, you know, I look, I was at the back of the water. I look up at the front. And sure enough, I see this giant fish flying out of the water. And um, it has my dad's lure stuck in his mouth. And I was like, of course, again, again. And um, so I grab the net and I'm running around the boat. And uh, of course, there's pandemonium. 
when there's a fish on the line. You, you fish all day for like one or two fish. And so like when you get that fish on, it's pandemonium. And when it's just my family, when it's my brother and my dad, there's lots of shouting. There's lots of like orders being, you know, barked around. There's lots of like, it's just, it's craziness. It's pandemonium. It's just nuts. And so I got the net and I'm running around and there's all sorts of, you know, orders being shouted. And just as I go to reach the net, I feel from the bottom of my left foot all the way up through the back of my head, this shooting pain. And I was like, you know, this, I just, I just screamed. I don't know why, but I started screaming my brother's name. I don't know why I was, I was yelling. I was, I was just like, Joel, Joel, Joel. And he's like, what? The, the fish is in the net. Like, what? It's, everything's all taken care of. And I said, no, look at my foot. And I had stepped on this huge muscular. And the hook penetrated into my pinky toe all the way up through the toe past the bar. Now, when we talk about hooks, I think we're like, oh, yeah, you know, you were fishing for this little fish, and there's this little, you know, you got your toe pierced. How cute. Um, but uh, I brought the hook with you to show you what it was. And so this was the hook. And so um, I want to show you a picture of what the hook looked like in my toe. Um, but I want to warn you, I was like, before, like they said, you know, you should really give people a warning. Um, can you dim the light so you can see it a little bit more? So this thing, so it went, it went past the barb. And so this is not the first step on the hook incident that has happened in our family, believe it or not. Um, there was one before. And the lesson to be learned by stepping on a hook is what? Is, is it, you know, you would think like, oh, um, you, you would think like, oh, you know, watch where you're stepping, you know, be careful what you're doing. But no, the lesson to be learned about stepping on a hook in the boat is wear shoes, right? Uh, I, was, I was barefoot, so like, this was just, this is what happens, this is what happens with stupidity. So, okay, so I got to get to a point here. <laughs> My, we looked up, knowing that, that we're an, we're an accident-prone family, we looked up, before we went, ways to get hooks out of your flesh, you know, if you have to get them out, and so... We, we did the research beforehand. If you know anything about my dad, he's like a research nut. So he's researching it. He's like, I know just what to do. And so like, I'm sitting there and I'm just in, I've never really been in, it was the strangest thing. It's a tiny little toe, but I just have never been in that kind of pain. It just hurt so bad. It was whatever. So there's this little method where you can wrap this, wrap string around the hook and you're supposed to just gently give it some pressure and then you kind of just pull it and it comes right out. It's like, Everybody online makes it look so easy. And so I'm getting ready for this moment. And he's like, do you want me to get this hook out of your toe now? Keep in mind, we're a 45-minute boat ride back to the lodge and then an hour and 45-minute car ride on back roads to the nearest hospital. Okay, so put that in perspective. Uh, and the fish were biting, and so that was like the number one motivation to not go. So he sits me down, and my dad's like, do you want me to pull this thing out? I'll use the string method. I said, okay, just, just do it. You know, you've got to try to, like, whatever, any machismo and adrenaline you can muster up, like, you're mustering it up at that moment. And so my brother gave me this life jacket, and I bit into this life jacket like I was a cowboy, you know, in the West, like they're pulling a bullet out of my shoulder, right? 
And so, like, I bit down on the life jacket, and my dad wraps, you know, the, the string around, and he just reese on it. I'm just kidding me. He, he, he barely touched it. And I, like, went over, and I thought I was going to throw up. It was just, like, so terrible. And so, like, I look at my brother, and he's like, are you really going to make us drive you to the hospital tonight? <laughs> He's like, just, he's like, just pull it out. <laughs> and um, so, long story short, I went to the, and so like, I went to the, we did the long trip to the hospital. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, I would get there and he would do something special to try to like, not mangle my toe any further. And so I said, well, doc, what are you going to do? And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to cut it? Are you going to like, because it was like down in deep. He's like, he's like, I could cut, but like, it's, I'm just going to numb it and I'm going to take a pliers and I'm just going to pull it out. <laughs> I said, okay. So then he, I get it numbed up and he takes the pliers and there was so much meat that was on that hook when he pulled it out. <laughs> it's terrible. It's the worst. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about that story because today we're going to be talking about like Facing something impossible. And I know, like, that seems, some, that seems so silly, like, to be thinking about, like, like, this impossible thing. But, like, what do you do? You can't do anything. you got a hook in your toe. Like, you can't walk. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly painful. Um, if anybody wants to see the size of the hook after, I mean, before, yes, am I maybe a bit of a baby? But, yeah, it's, it's a big hook. It's through my toe. It hurt terrible. So, but, but I think we do that, like, sometimes, like, when, in our lives. And I was thinking about that in, in, in context of our story that we're going to read here in a moment. But... I think, like, when, when we get in moments that are, like, really big and we have, like, you know, you have adrenaline or you have, you know, these, these trials or these big things that come to your life, I think what we try to do is, like, instead of, like, really looking to God, we just bite the life jacket. You know what I mean? Like, we just, like, just bite in the life jacket of life and we're, we're hoping that we get through it. And we get to a point in our lives where we just finally realize that we can't do it on our own. And like you just have to, whether it's you just give up and you take the long boat ride to the doctor or it's like, you know, you just give up and you let all of your own self-ambitions or your own desires or your own inadequacies, you let all of those things go to God. Whatever it might be, there are things that we're going to be facing in life. There are trials that are going to come our way that we have to make sure that we're looking to the right source to give us the strength. And... Um, when we're thinking about like how our resolve can be tested, um, it's, it's, it's tested, that resolve in our life is tested in order that God would give us strength and in order that God would give us the resolve that we need. Um, this brings me to like one of my least favorite scriptures in the Bible. Least favorite. You guys probably have favorite scriptures. I have some of those too, but I also have some that are like, man, I don't like how truthful they are. Do you know what I mean? Nobody, have you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, Man, it just speaks too much to me, and I don't know how I feel about it. Romans 5 is one of those for me. Uh, it says, this is Paul writing, he said, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, this... 
This character that comes to our life comes to our life because there's trials that happen. There's pain that happens. There's, there's these, you know, these, these things that would happen in our life that would cause like what it feels like just when we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders, that anxiety, that stress, those situations that make us think, oh my gosh, am I going to hyperventilate over this? Or I'm going to, those, those things that would bring us to a breaking point in our life. We've all gone through those things. Paul's writing here, he's saying, he's saying we, we celebrate those moments because it's through those moments that it gives us this, this perseverance. It gives us this patience. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, like patience, is a, patience is a struggle for me. Um, I, 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 get this, I get these ideas in my head of things that I want to do, but I'm almost never, like, patient enough to see them out. Like, I always see people's lawns, like their, you know, their grass, and it always looks so nice. You know, it just looks like, you know, I could, I could just sleep on that. You know, it's, it's just picturesque. And, like, I want my lawn to look like that, but I don't have the patience for it. So I'll put the stuff out. You know, I'll, I'll mow my grass, right? That's a good start. Uh, then you put the stuff down, right? The... The, the weed and feed or whatever it is and all the other extra stuff that makes your lawn, you know, eat food and grow and all of those things. And I put it down and I'll like, uh, I'll be like, yeah, so like I want it to like, all right, so if I put it down tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and my lawn looks good, right? No. <laughs> I'll call my friends that are like, have really nice lawns. And I'm like, hey, I put this stuff down a couple of days ago, so I don't really see it working. I think I'm going to put more down. I'm going to put it down again. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that. You have to have patience, right? It's the thing I'm working on, right? So this will come up again later, but it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult though. And so what happens, you know, in my own life, when I think about, you know, the things that happen, you know, to, like that happen to me and, 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 and situations I get myself in, I'm always like, you know, God, I've, I feel like I've learned this lesson, you know, like we get through things in life and we're like, okay, God, what a great teachable moment for me. And we almost never think that at the time, but later we're like, God, I, I'm so glad you taught me this lesson. I mean, now I'm good. And he's like, Aaron, that was like the eighth time I tried. It just still didn't stick. Um, but, we, that's, but that's the life sometimes that we live because we don't have patience. And so that patience allows us to walk out the life God's called us to. It allows us to live the way he's called us to. And so um, if you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to the book of Daniel chapter number three. Daniel chapter number three. We're going to read about some young men this morning that, you know, when we look at it, took a stand for what was right. And, you know, there's, there's kind of two, there's kind of two places that we can fall in, in, into when it comes to um, our relationship with God. And, and, you know, of course, there was so many people, you know, this last week and, and last two weeks that have experienced flooding and, and, and there's been um, so many homes that have just been um, just destroyed and, and so much damage and our heart goes out and we've been praying and doing our best to help. And, and uh, I was uh, walking over to my parents' house because uh, they had experienced the flood and, and they, had, uh, they have a little creek that goes next to their house and the creek went over the road and it was about two feet over the road and, and, and the current of this creek uh, as I was walking through it in the middle of the night just about swept me out from under my feet. Like I slipped and I fell and I, I caught myself, but it was like, you know, it was one of those like barely moments. Like, oh my gosh, like I could have been like swept away. I'm not like a little guy, you know, so like it's a pretty, it's a pretty serious, it's a pretty serious current. 
And, um, and, 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 and it made me think, you know, there's, there's this current that's happening in life. And especially when there's things that happen in our lives, issues or, or trials or pain or loss or whatever it might be. And these things are rushing in a direction. And we find ourselves caught within those rushing currents. And you have a choice when we're, and we're, when we have a choice when we're caught within those rushing currents because even if we're not in the midst of a trial, just our workplaces or maybe our families or our friends or whatever it might be, there's this current that happens just in life. The busyness of life, the stress of life, the temptation of sin, all of these things are flowing and we are standing in it. And it's easy for us, the life that is easier for us to choose is the life that would just say, okay, I'm just going to give in because it's easier that I just blend in. It's easier that I just not make waves. It's easier that I just, and we can make excuses on and on. Because it's easier. And then we have this choice where we could say, you know, instead of just being washed away, I'm not only going to choose to stand my ground, but I'm going to choose to walk in the direction that God has for me. And news for if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll know this, but God's plan is usually, if not all the time, nay, is all the time, against the current that you'd like to easily float down. It's against it. You, you, you have to have that strength. You have to be able to, to make that decision that says, I'm standing against it and I'm going to what God wants. Because there's an ease sometimes, and even though sometimes we feel that current flowing so quickly, what that current quickly flows into, if we give into it, is a lazy river. You guys know what a lazy river is, right? I was a lifeguard when I was in high school, and you know, I watched people float around the lazy river. If you're unfamiliar with what a lazy river is, you get in a tube, there's a little circle of very slow flowing water, you get your nachos and you set them right here as you're laying down, and you have you know, something to drink, and like, you just, you're just going down life. Like you just, like that's, I'm more of a lazy river kind of guy at a water park. So like, I get that. But that's like what we want our relationship with God to be. We want it to just be easy going. Like, don't, like, don't be pushing me. Don't be, don't be pushing me into a corner. Don't try to, you know, get me out of my box. Don't try to really be, you know, getting in my space. I just want to go with life. But what we don't realize is by just allowing that to happen, what happens so often is that we live fruitless lives. Lives that don't have the meaning that it would have and the, the greatness that it would have if we walked against the current toward God's plan. So I want you to begin to think about what that looks like for you. To begin to think about the current that's raging in your life or to think about, you know, the, the decisions that you could make, that we could all make which, when, it, when it comes to how we take a stand for what is right. And it isn't just about saying, you know, I do the right thing and someone else does the wrong thing. It's not about that. It's, it's bigger as we're going to read. And, and so we're going to read this story in the book of Daniel, chapter number three, about these three boys who experienced one of the coolest miracles, I think, throughout the entire Bible. And uh, it's a long story, so I'm going to read part of it and then I'm going to summarize part of it and then we'll, we'll finish it up. Daniel three, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. That's 90 feet tall. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the, in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. 
I mean, this guy has an ego literally 90 feet tall, right? So that's where we're at with King Nebuchadnezzar. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has stood up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So this is, this is what's going on. I want you to kind of think about the flow of the river here in this moment. The, 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 the entire nation is gathered. And, and, and if you've ever been in a you ever been in a crowd where there's lots of people, it's very easy to get swept away with what the crowd is doing. There's a level of excitement. There's a level of, uh, there's just, there's something almost uh, third dimension, there's another dimension. So this is just, it's, it's crazy. And so uh, if you've ever been to like a Green Bay Packer game, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's not really possible to just sit there and be like, I see people that do that and I wonder like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, like, can't you feel this? I mean, it's like, it's almost a spiritual experience, right? So it's like, you're, 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 when you're in a crowd, you're like swept away with what's happening and it just becomes so easy to ride that out. And so what happens is there are these three guys who say, you know what, we're not going to bow because we believe that we should be honoring God, not be kneeling and bowing to a statue of gold to boost someone's ego. The only God that we serve is the Lord God. And so all of the court officials and all of Nebuchadnezzar's chief appointers and all, those, all these things, they, they, they find these guys and, and they bring them to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and of course, they're just furious. And Nebuchadnezzar's furious when he hears that there's these people who won't bow down to his statue. And so they, they, he said, bring him to me. And he brings him to him. And he says, you know, if you don't bow down to this, the punishment for this is that we're going to take you and we're going to throw you in this giant furnace. You're going to be melted. You're just, just this, is, this is your end. And so they go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, uh, they say this. In verse number 16, Chadak, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we, are, if we are thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped 
to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Then they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god other than their own. Therefore, I decree to the people that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is like one of those stories, like you read it, and it's, it's one of those miracles that just seems surreal. It seems like it, it, seems like it can't happen. You have, these, you have these young guys who are taking a stand for what they feel is right, and not only do they have to in, like, endure like, all of this, this, this entire situation, but they have to have that faith to step forward and say, no matter what happens, we're still going to serve God. No matter what the flow of life, no matter what the flow of culture and the raging current that would be pushing us downstream, I'm going to take Stand. And, and I think that when we read this story, you know, we, 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 we're like, well, hey, you know, these guys had this great faith. I wish I had the faith of these guys. But it wasn't faith that saved them from this fire. I want you to look at, like, what, what, what went into this. And, and the funny thing about it is he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, they're like, hey, you know, even if God doesn't save us, obedience to God is more important. So he like almost gives God this way out, or maybe it's a challenge, I don't know. But the, what got them there and got them through this furnace was their simple act of obedience. Obedience, I want you to think about that a little bit. Because we, we want to put so many things in front of our obedience to God. And that obedience to God most of the time means that we have to take steps in a direction where it might be uncomfortable for us. We have to take steps in a direction that would be against the flow of what would seem like it would make sense or against the flow of what people might give us as advice, but we would say, you know, I know that God has called me to something. And so whatever trial I face, whatever situation I find myself in, I know that God can deliver me from it. And so even though there's faith involved, it begins with obedience. You remember the, remember the story? We, it was, as we went through you know, the kings and prophets and we kind of looked at the history and the story of the children of Israel this summer, uh, one, of my, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is, is the challenge to King Saul when he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
To obey is better than sacrifice. Think about that. To walk in obedience to God's plan means more than if you would sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is involved, right? Especially in there. I mean, they're willing to risk it all. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, people who could be a part of a Nike campaign, right? Just a couple of chuckles. Get it? Okay. You can look it up. They're willing to risk everything, right? I mean, they're laying it all on the line. And so God responds based on their obedience to his plan and his calling. And so they find themselves in the midst of a miracle because they walked in obedience. They walked in obedience. I think for us, you know, we want to put, we want to put our faith, we want to put our talent and the things that we could do for God above it. And we say, you know, God, give me all of these things. But our prayer could also be, God, give me the strength to walk in obedience, to walk against the flow, against this current that would be pulling me away. So they walked in obedience to God even when it cost them. And that's what godly character is all about. Our hope when we're experiencing persecution or illness or uh, pain lies in knowing that this life is not the end. Their hope in obedience was knowing that, that, there, that this life wasn't all that there was. That, his pro, that it's his promise to all those who love and obey him. Knowing that we'll have eternal life with God enables us to live above the pain and suffering that we endure in this life. Knowing that there's something on the other side of it. We can, be, we, we can walk in that obedience that puts us in a position to experience a miracle. So, I want to talk this morning about three things that we can learn from these three boys. Three things that you can learn from these guys. Uh, the first one is this. The furnace will find you. Everybody say, the furnace will find you. I grew up in church thinking that, uh, growing up I had kind of a skewed idea of who God was. I, I, I saw God as somebody who was like, up in heaven, and he was just like waiting for me to do something bad so that he could then do something bad to me. And that's just how I saw God, and, and that was maybe just the lens of, of how I grew up in church, and maybe I just, I, I was, maybe I was afraid of, you know, displeasing God or what it was, but, but, it, but it was skewed because I, I realized as I grew in a relationship with God that God isn't waiting to do something bad to me, he's waiting to do something good for me, right? So it, it was a great realization, but I grew up thinking that as long as I walked in obedience, as long as I was a good church kid, as long as I, like, did the right thing, that as a consequence and a reward for that, that I would never have to go through trials in my life. I convinced myself of that. I, I would see people that would be going through things you know, as, as I grew up, and I would see people going through things, and I would say, man, they must have something going on in their life that just isn't right. Because, you know, if they were just following God and they were just obeying God, they wouldn't be in these situations. And you know what I discovered? Is, is as I grew older and the more that I walked in obedience to God, the more that I stepped forward and said, God, I'm going to follow your plan, the more the trials came in my life. I, maybe some of you are out there and you're quiet because you've experienced it. It's like the, the, the more that I walked in obedience to God, the more it felt like the world was sort of crashing down on me. 
And I'm like, God, what's, what, what's, what's with this? Like, God, I'm, I'm doing the right things. And you, you could hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying the same thing. They, they, they'd be saying, I, I'm doing what's right. I'm taking a stand for what's good. Why am I experiencing all of these things that are bad? Why am I experiencing all the negatives? Why does it seem like I'm always caught in a trial? Why does it seem like I'm always going through pain? Why does it seem like I'm always in the middle of something? Remember what Romans 5 says. This is a trying of our faith produces patience. You know, so what's, as I began to sort of see the fingerprint of God on my life throughout these trials, I began to see that the not, it wasn't just the, the mistakes that I made, that, that I got into situations that God could help turn around and, and help me to see. It was things that just happened because we live in a world where there's a raging current happening with our society. And when you stand against it is when you're hit with all sorts of things that were already happening upstream. And so I, consequently, I, I, I talk to so many people that they go through things in life Non-Christians, Christians doesn't matter. This, the response is in many, often the same. They'll get in these situations and they'll be in what we would say, you know, it's, it's their furnace moment. It's, it's the moment where they feel like everything's, it's all sort of come down to this. And they'll tell me all the time, they'll say, you know, I just can't handle it because it, it was in that moment that I just knew God didn't care about me anymore. And I'm mad at God for it. And it, it, it happens all the time. It's, happened, it's conversations that I, that I have over and over and over as a pastor with people that I, I can't get over it. I'm just, I'm mad that God would allow this to happen. And I've been there too. I, I, growing up, like, I, I felt that too. As I would have things happen in my life, I would say, God, like, you shouldn't be, like, like, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let me go through this. This wouldn't be something that I would be experiencing but what I discovered in life is that God doesn't change the flow of that river. He just gives you the strength to stand against it. And we, 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 we want God to do that. We want him to, to, to dam it up, and then we've got a pool, and then we're swimming in life, and it's great. But he doesn't. It's, it's worth noting that there was someone, that these three guys... He didn't save them from, he didn't not let them go into the fire. He just joined them in the furnace. And I think sometimes what we fail to realize and what people sometimes realize after they go through trials is that what I didn't realize is that God was there the whole time. And I wonder how our perspective could change this morning if we just simply decided that we're, when we're in the middle of a trial, that we're going to look around the furnace and find Jesus. Our perspective change because the furnace will find you. You can't escape it. If you're escaping the furnace all the time, it could mean that you're floating down the lazy river of life. So then it's, it's inescapable. But the fire in your life has the ability to purge out those things that stand between you and everything God has for your life. Fire is the symbol throughout Scripture of, some, of, of a cleansing. And so it, it can cleanse us. Those, those things that we face, those moments of pain, those trials can be moments that cleanse us, moments that bring us 
to a place where we experience God. Number one, the furnace will find you. Three things we're learning about these guys. Number two, we'll never change the world by blending into it. You know, if you would, if you would tell me, if you would say, you know, Pastor, I, you know, I, I, I want to make an impact. I, I want to I do this thing. Well, in order for us to make an impact, we have to walk out this obedience. We have to take this stand against the raging current that would want to sweep us away. And so what, what does this mean? This, this means that, that what our lives look like might look different than other lives. It means we take a stand for what's right. It means that we follow God's commands. It means that by following God's commands, we already set ourselves apart from people who are just going down the flow and, and who are just washing themselves down in the river. And they might notice. They might say, hey, why are you, there's something different about you. Have you ever had anybody ask you that question or somebody make that statement in your life? They'll look at you and they'll say, there's something different about you and I just can't put my finger on it. Well, it might just be that you're walking in obedience to God's commands and you're taking a stand and instead of being washed away, you're going toward what God wants. And so we have to be willing to go through these things and realize that Jesus is with us. And Paul, the apostle, as we read some of the, the writings that he has in the New Testament, we realize that he defines this concept. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, he, he, he begins to define it. He, he's writing this from a place where every, every, almost every place he goes, they're trying to arrest him. They're beating him up. They're throwing him in jail. They're, they're, they're literally hunting his life. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, therefore, do not lose heart. So <laughs> the first statement is, like, he, he's not worried about himself. He's trying to encourage others. Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I want you to kind of let that scripture just sink in for a second. Because this, this is somebody writing with the idea and the concept of what we talked about with these three boys. It's like there's, there's a, because our life is temporary, there's something that we work toward that goes beyond just what we can see with our lives. There's eternity. And so the fire that happens in our life will either burn you up and you'll be like, well, I can't handle it anymore. I'm mad at God. I'm walking away from this. Or it will define you as someone who can walk in obedience regardless of what comes your way. So number one, the furnace and the fire will find you. Number two, we'll never change the world by blending into it. And the third and final one is that there, are, there is strength within godly friendships. There's strength within godly friendships. There's something about joining together for a cause that begins to galvanize us together as people. And whether it's, whether it's war, or whether it's a cause, or whether it's church, or whether it's our relationship with God or Christianity, when we join together, we become this force. 
I want you to think about this too, because I think we want to say like, you know, well, you know, once I have it all together, then I could help someone. But, you know, it's, I think Pastor Donovan and I were talking this week, and, um, and if you talk to me long enough, we're eventually like going to be talking about um, the theories behind World War II and stuff, and it's like, I don't know why, but it just seems to always come up. And so we're talking about it, and, um, and uh, I think somebody mentioned it, it was like, you know, if, if, if we were attacked now in that same way with, with the young people in our country, I mean, we would just be, we would be obliterated. We'd be blown off the map. And uh, it made me think because um, I, had, I, I had heard and I've done a little research enough to know that the idea and the concept of other nations during like the late 1930s, early 1940s, when Japan attacked America in 1941, they attacked America because they believed America, and I mean, get this, get ready for this, because it's going to seem like I'm not describing the greatest generation, but the, the, the concept from the outside was that they were pleasure-loving young people who wouldn't be able to join together and who didn't have the stomach or the tenacity or the courage to fight a long war. So they attack America and realize they've attacked the greatest generation. And they join together. Believe it or not, this wasn't just a concept that happened outside of the U.S. This was a concept that was happening right here. The people in America were getting worried because they saw all the unrest in the world. And they said, these young people, there's no way they could fight this war. But what happened? They joined together and they began to say, you know what, we're going to be galvanized by our love for country and our love for freedom. And because they joined together and worked together, they did, they did amazing things and helped save the world from complete disaster. Our lives, our relationships that we have are so important because the truth is you can't do it on your own. We want, to, we, want to, we want to be up there at the front of the boat, biting the life jacket, hoping that we can just get through something. But we can't do it on our own. We don't, just need, we don't just need God. All right, God, well, I just got you. I guess, you know, you'll be able to get me through everything. Uh, there's, there's strength in that, but there's so much strength when we join together as people and we walk in relationships where we can encourage one another, much like Paul's doing here in 2 Corinthians where he's encouraging. He's saying, don't lose heart. I know you're in the middle of something. I know you're in the middle of a battle. I know that you're going through a thing right now, but don't lose heart because it isn't, you're not just going to realize that you did this on your own and the strength that you had to make it through. You have to recognize that there's a power and there's something you're living for beyond yourself that you can then help others accomplish it. You see, we have each other, but more importantly, there is someone that goes through the fire with us and he has the likeness of the Son of God. It's, it's, it's one thing just to have the strength to do it on your own, but it's another to recognize that you're completely powerless without Christ that's where we can be. And you're like, man, that just doesn't seem like it's very faith-filled. Oh, it's incredibly faith-filled. Because we recognize that there's a God who takes us past the raging current of life if we simply will turn around and walk in obedience. So I want you to, I want to, I want to kind of leave you with a couple of questions here this morning. First of all, what is the fire and what's the furnace that you're facing here this morning? 
We're, we all come from different backgrounds. I, I can't possibly pretend to know or even touch on half the things that people might be facing in their lives. But I believe that many of us are facing those. Many of us have maybe because of, maybe, maybe it's because of our obedience, maybe it's because we've done something and it's like, man, I wish I wasn't such a moron. I'm here, I'm facing this challenge. What is the fire that you're facing? And number two question is, are you able to look around and see God in the midst? Because if you're going through something, this is why friends are so important. Because you, you're going through something and, and I've talked with so many people and I've shared things that I've been struggling with and, 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 and problems that I'm facing and, and situations and trials. I've shared it with them and they begin to just give me a different perspective. They offer me hope, just as Paul does in 2 Corinthians. They give you this encouragement that would say, you know what, it isn't just about you, it isn't just about me, it's about how we're moving in the direction of becoming one with God. What's your fire? What's the fire that you're facing? Number two, can you see God in the midst of it? That's my challenge for you this week. Whatever fire you're facing, small or great, find a way to see God in it. And you won't just leave that fire feeling like you just barely escaped. You'll leave knowing that God produced patience in you. Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? Let's bow our heads this morning. For many of us, it's difficult for us to see God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our trial. But it's so important that for us as Christians that we do that. Because then it, through that testing will be produced patience and perseverance that can allow us then to help others. Let's pray. God, thank you for providing a way for us to see you in the midst of our pain. God, even when, even if there's some of us here today that we're angry with how you did or didn't show up in our lives, Give, give us peace. Help us to see you. Help us to get our eyes up off of our own trials and see that you're there with us. That you love us, that you care for us, that you're not waiting to do bad things to us, but you're waiting to do good things to us. To offer us new hope and a new life. We just thank you being there for us. In Jesus' name. Now, as we're still focused on God and, and we're here and, and our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to ask you this question. Maybe you'd be here today and you would say, you know, I need to get right with God and give my life to Jesus. And if that's you, today can be your day. If you haven't done that before, you haven't taken that step to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. We, we, we want to pray with you here this morning. And I want to ask that if that's you, you would raise your hand right now. All right, Lord. Help us to be the ones who offer hope. 
who offer love. And even if we're facing trials ourselves, that you would give us the ability to walk in obedience and help encourage others as we move toward you and walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. You can be dismissed this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like prayer for anything, we'll have people up front at our altar who would love to pray for you.